entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf, the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builder Show, and along with my executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. I'm proud to let you know we record this show in the studios of 94.3 FM The Talker, which is part of Bold Gold Media, and we are in my hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania. D.C. Taylor making it happen in Scranton, Pennsylvania. In northeastern Pennsylvania. All righty. The Business Builder Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio. That's c-suiteradio.com. You can find the Business Builder Show and many other fine shows on C-Suite Radio. So D.C. is our special guest on the line. Yes. And that is Mike Lewis. Hi, Mike. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Marty. Uh, I'm thrilled you're here. You wrote a great book, and here's the title. When to Jump If the Job You Have Isn't the Life You Want. I'm going to repeat it. Mike's book is When to Jump If the Job You Have Isn't the Life You Want. So, uh, Mike, the subtitle of your book gives me a little hint that maybe at one point in your life, you felt the job you had was not the life you wanted. So I guess that we'll start off by saying, what the hell is your story, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thanks for having me on. Big fan of the show. And as you as you nailed it, I guess you could be a detective in your other life <laughs> uh, because you're correct. I, I actually grew up in a small town up, uh, about 100 miles north of L.A. and discovered the sport of squash, which is kind of like racquetball which is kind of like tennis, but indoors, uh, you know, in a, in a town where there's probably only four courts within a hundred miles yeah. back down towards LA. And I, I fell in love with it. And, and when I was 14, my folks uh, decided that they would let me sign us up to host a traveling pro player. And he came into our home. I remember sitting across the dinner table from him. And as a 14 year old, to hear this gentleman who had used a sport to really transform his life and to see different cultures and, and borders and, and travel. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do that someday. Uh, but as you know, Marty, life gets busy and people get in ruts and, and you kind of follow a staircase. And yeah. I felt very lucky that my folks were able to send me to school. And I went to Dartmouth College. And after that, got, I had an internship on Wall Street at Goldman Sachs. And then um, right after school, got recruited to the venture capital arm of Bain Capital, uh, which is a global private equity firm. And on paper, you know, years into the job, several years into the job, I felt like it was all working out. But in the back of my mind, you know, the life that I really wanted was one of this adventure filled journey, like the man who had sat across the table from me 10 years earlier. And so yeah. I, wow. I set out and this book and really our community and when to jump.com and all these things came out of truly an internal struggle to say, okay, when are you supposed to go do what you really want to go do? Yeah. So, uh, no detective work. I read the book. 
There's there's a novel <laughs> there's a novel concept for a podcast host is to read the is to read the uh, the guest's book. Um, so yeah, it is novel. <laughs> so that makes us special, man. Um, so but I was I, I still I still struggle I still struggle with all the stories, and I want to talk about you know why you wrote it the way you wrote it. But you know, so you go from a very successful career as a venture capitalist. You're doing you're kicking ass. You're doing good. You, at 14, got this bug to play squash. I barely even know what the hell squash is. And, and I... Yeah. So, I'm just fascinated. So, so there you are, and, you're, and you, you thought back to those days that when you were 14, you say, okay, so, so give, me the, give me the brief journey of... So, there you are, and how did you start down the road of becoming the squash player? Well, it's funny, you know, most kids probably don't grow up saying, I want to be a professional squash player. Right. They really came out of this idea that I, you know, there was very few sports where if you were good enough and you were at the skill level that you thought could compete at the highest level, you created your own destiny. You controlled what would happen. And for me, that was professional squash. It was ah. a sport that was individual in nature. Yeah. Uh, the, the sport's British by background, which is why most folks, just like you are, are very vaguely familiar, if at all familiar with it. Yeah. And so not only do you have to kind of fight for yourself, which I actually liked because that would determine how you know far I went. No, yeah. no coach or personality or politics would get in the way of, of saying, Hey, if I'm good enough, I, there's no stopping where I can go. Whereas, you know, a lot of sports, there's a lot of other factors at play. And so that got me hooked on the sport. And then the, the other piece of it was, Certainly the, the travel in the sense that it's played in 190 countries. Yeah. And yeah. it's one of those things where, you know, even in, I grew up in a town called Santa Barbara, you know, 90 miles north of L.A. Sure. The closest tournaments were often just, yeah. you know, in Chicago to, <laughs> yeah. to, to find other players. So it was yeah. it was this thrill. I'd never left. The sure. State. I'd barely left my hometown. And, and this sport, I kind of said, OK, nothing's stopping me. And by the way, if I keep getting better. You know, I can go to beautiful places like Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> the resort capital of the world. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. It was a thrill when you're 15 to get to go to the Midwest. I'm not sure why. But, but all seriousness, you actually got to travel the world, right? I did. Yeah. And so I, I, my, right before I went to school, I was recruited by a coach. Uh, the former coach at my university had left to, um, to go to pursue somewhere else, uh, another coaching job. But, was from New Zealand. And so we was down in New Zealand, was down in, um, in Germany, um, across in Europe and in, in Holland competing against, um, you know, other players, my age in international competition. And I just felt, geez, from New Zealand all the way to, uh, to Europe and everywhere in between, I can kind of keep this going and see where it takes me. And then during yeah. school, when I wasn't competing for my team, I would bring my racket with me and I ended up playing, you know, uh, on, uh, you know, islands near the mainland of China yeah. and um, in Europe along the countryside of Switzerland and anywhere I went, this sport became my currency. And so it became addicting to just say, how much farther can I go? How much farther can I go? And because I had hosted that player earlier on in my life, I knew that it was possible to, to continue competing at a, at a professional level while using it as a way to see the world. I just didn't know when I was going to try to do that. So you decided along that journey to jump, and you did. You moved into the prof- become a professional squash player. Now let's get to your your book and well, I, and, and to be to be honest, it was actually you know three ish years into working 
yeah. after I had competed for my uh, college team when most people who per- perform a college sport at, at that level, you know, say, okay, it's time to move on. I actually jumped, you know, three years into work point. when I said, I'm going to create a plan and I'm going to, I'm going to go follow it. Good point. Good point. See, now I'm, now I'm acting like I didn't read the book. See, now I knew that. <laughs> Even us guessing. I got caught for goodness and no, I did read the book. Stay here for more of the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf. My friends at nastpartners.com asks you, who will take you there? The predictive index allows you to decode the complexities of your people and realize what drives workplace behaviors so you can ensure alignment, reach your team's true potential, and achieve your business objectives faster than ever. The predictive index uses proven science to help you manage across the higher to retire life cycle with scientifically validated workforce assessments that provide high impact insights in minutes. That's the predictive index. Learn more at nastpartners.com. That's my friend Dave Nast at nastpartners.com. That's N-A-S-T, nastpartners.com. So I am speaking with Mike Lewis. His uh, book is When to Jump, If if the Job You Have Isn't the Life You Want. Uh, And you have an interesting website that people will want to go to once we talk a little further. And what is your website, Mike? It is whentojump.com, W-H-E-N-T-O-J-U-M-P, whentojump.com. We have a newsletter on there if you sign up for it, I think, just about once a month, you get my uh, lovely voice uh, in text form coming into your inbox. Yeah, it's a great it's a great site. Okay, so your book tells your story, and it also tells a bunch of other great stories. What I want to ask is, why did you decide to use that format? What was the driving thought process behind that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I actually started this book in January of 2013 when I had interviewed very much informally a woman I had read about in a magazine on my desk and she had left wall street to become a cyclist. And I felt when I hung up the phone that that story she told me had very little to do with becoming an athlete or an Olympian, which is what she became, but actually a lot more about the fundamental decisions that we go through in deciding to chase our dream, you know, the ups and downs, the the good and bad, the successes and the failures, things like that. And so, I thought, you know, what better form than storytelling to, to create a message. And so if you go to whentojump.com or if you read the book, you'll see there's some prescriptive advice, but it's pretty light. What we try to do is just harvest all of these stories and then thread a framework like the jump curve, which outlines the yeah. phases of, of uh, jumps that you'll go through when you decide to take one, um, you know, in, in kind of real, practical, pragmatic, digestible language rather than me trying to sit on a soapbox and tell you everything you need to know. Because when you have 44 stories of wildly different people, yeah. from single moms to parents to first-generation immigrants to baby boomers, you know, you're going to be able to draw different conclusions and see similarities. And that's just much more you know, helpful for people, and it's, it's much more intuitive. So that's why we have multiple perspectives in anything that we do across our platform. I, I agree. I loved it. I loved the format. I found it so fascinating. And, and you did break it down in different segments. Uh, but uh, I, I loved I loved the format. I really enjoyed reading it. It's a great read. It was a very engaging read. Um, so 
Like you said uh, a couple of minutes ago, you didn't just uh, you decided at some point to become a professional squash player, but there were steps along the way, and um, I'm not sure if the decision was clear and then you moved. I don't know, but you you actually wrote an article recently. I think it was an article. I know it was an article, and you talked about if you're planning a jump. There's four big things you need to know. And I'm sure there are a lot of people, especially the way things are in the country and in the world right now. There are a lot of people who are thinking about making a jump. So the advice and the book and everything else, I think, are very important. So let's talk about these four big things. The first thing you mentioned is circle up a supporting cast. Talk to me about that, Mike. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, oftentimes people think you make a jump alone. Yeah. And you don't. Uh, you really don't. And uh, in the book, we talk about, you know, one of the key pieces in the beginning is listening to the little voice in your head. Yeah. Um, and then I think if this supporting cast helps pull it out of you because, you know, what you need is a group of people that will encourage, critique, support, move forward, kind of reinforce uh, your decision to chase your dream. And that's really hard to get all of those things if you're just sitting at your desk by yourself or sitting you know, in a dark corner of a room in a cubicle because it's very hard to, to yeah. get outside what your routine is and whether that's your routine of going to work or, or your routine of just doing what you think you're supposed to be doing. You need people around you, yeah. uh, this kind of crew, this tribe to, to help pull out of you where you should be going. Yeah, in the book, uh, you uh, go into detail uh, how diligent you were in doing that and, and uh, circling up a supporting cast. Uh, very, very important part of uh, this the book and, and what you're telling us. Uh, point number two in the four big things, you say make stuff and lots of it. Make stuff and lots of it. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so I think once you have people around you and you've got this little voice, you know, this actually maps to the third, this, to the second piece of the book framework, which is to make a plan. And to make a plan, you need to kind of just start ideating. You need to start drawing and scribbling and bulleting and taking a napkin and drawing on it. You need to start bulleting things out to see what your priorities are. Um, I still keep a journal of just handwritten notes that I need to get done each day uh, because I think if you don't put things on paper, they stay very theoretical, Marty. And a lot of people get very scared at the idea of doing that. And so I think what you really need to do is to be able to say, okay, these might not be final plans, but they are more than just an idea. And yeah. I think that's where you just start making stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I mentioned in this, um, you know, that I had a Dropbox folder that I just threw everything into. Love and it. over time, some things got weeded out. A lot of things stayed, then they got weeded out. And over time, it was actually the basis to the book. It was, it was yeah. documents that actually formed the first pages years later. Yeah. Well, you talk about the travel ideas, fundraising, slideshows, budget spreadsheets, and lists of friends with couches where you, do, oh, yeah. where you could crash, <laughs> right? You well, got I mean, to do was, some planning. It was as, it was a, yeah, it was as tactical as that, which is <laughs> for years before I left, yeah. I would keep a list of people I knew in different cities. Yeah. And over time, when I realized I wanted to do this, I thought, would it be nice if for the first month, I could stay with people in New Zealand and Australia yeah. uh, who had a couch for me. And so they were on my spreadsheet. But to go a little bit further, after the first month, I met other people. And because of my work putting my spreadsheet together and these people I was meeting, then the list grew. And I ended up going 
for nearly two years on other people's couches. <laughs> that's that's working hard, man. That's a turtle type approach, man. You're just plodding along. That, that's great. And so, uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, two hundred thousand miles. Wow. And I guess that's number three. Plan one month. I guess this is where you get more specific. Am I right there? Exactly, because a lot of people get tied up on either end. They say, "Oh gosh, I don't even know where to start." So I say, "Okay, plan one month." But then a lot of other people, on the other hand, say. Well, I need to plan the whole thing. Well, the problem is you're never going to know what's going to yeah. happen, right? So yeah. if you plan one month really well, I think you'll be ready to take your jump. And obviously you want to have some savings and other things ready so you can go longer than a month. Sure. But I'm simply saying here, don't try to pretend. Yeah. Point number four is my favorite. Measure the weight of regret. Measure the weight of regret. Talk to me about that, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think there becomes a simple uh, equation we put in our head after a while when we have something we want to do. And on one side is, what if I go and it doesn't work out? What if I open this bakery and it fails? What if I start a rock group and no one listens? What if I try to travel and I get sick and all these things? Uh, then on the other hand, we we weigh what happens if we don't go. Yeah. And, and we balance out how much does that regret weigh? Yeah. And almost inevitably, and in my experience, it's been up 100% of the time, whether they're folks on our community, and we, we share these stories, you know, by photo, at, uh, we're at when to jump on Instagram, most weeks we'll have several people featured, yeah. we've got a book of 44 people, I've interviewed informally hundreds, if not thousands, but no one has looked at that equation and said that the weight of not trying is not as bad as trying and failing. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It is always going to be more terrifying. Yes. To 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 face inaction when Mike, you're looking at a dream than Mike, failing and, and and not crying again. Mike, I have the advantage of being older. We won't describe what that really means. Um but so you're uh, 34. I'm I'm older than you. Let's just say I'm older than you. Okay. We'll and, stop that game then. Yeah. And okay. and the book does a good job in some information talking about you know, that how important that is way you think about the regret, but not taking that jump, not taking that leap again with the decades that I have. I, I am blessed to say I was wild and crazy, man. <laughs> and so if something happens today, I, I wrote it, man. DC's laughing over there. Yeah, DC's <laughs> laughing. He says, yeah, I'm, I've been around this guy. He's crazy. You know? So, yeah, but it's true. I mean, and, and, you know, there's so many stories in the book. There's a woman who was in her late 60s when she jumped. Yeah. There are people with a single parent who has a daughter who's nine years old. You know, she said, you know, you just have to look at what, what, what does your life look like when you fast forward? Yeah. And several people brought up, you know, when you're on your deathbed and you look back on life, what, is, what are you be most proud of? And yeah. I think that those are really important things to think about. It doesn't mean you have to be reckless no and i would hope your no. listeners don't think no. oh, okay i have to no. quit my job tomorrow but no you know a jump can be just having agency over any decision in your life big or small and i think that's a very important part of your book and your website is that we're not nobody's saying be wild and crazy by the way the article we have been talking about the four big things you need to make a jump is on uh, mike's website is when to jump.com when to jump.com um when people go to that site, can they add their stories to whentojump.com, Mike? Tell me about that. Yeah, exactly. So I, I actually, when I sketched a cover page to this book 45 years ago, five years ago now, January of 2013, 
I never wanted to simply just be a book. I wanted it to be a living, breathing yeah. uh, community where people could come and share their story, whether it's in person at what I called jump clubs, which would be a mix between a music uh, festival, a speaking series, and a farmer's market, yeah. which would celebrate jumpers in all these different ways. Yeah. And we, we actually held our first jump club with Cheryl Sandberg, yeah. the COO of Facebook, uh, the, the creator of Lean In. Yep. She, um, she wrote the forward to my book, but she came and spoke at our first jump club in San Francisco. Awesome. We've ended one in the New York area. And yeah. it went to a weekend instead of just a half day. Now we're going to London next year. Um, but way before that, if you go to windajump.com, you can also drop in a photo and a caption um, or a blog post uh, to submit. And we'll feature your story to our community across our newsletter, our social pages, etc. cetera. Um, and, you know, if people are listening, they really want to learn more about how to meet other people. Because part of this is sharing your story, but the other part is just, talking to other people who have actually yep. jumped. Yep. Uh, we're creating a member directory and, and an online learning program. The online learning program is a four-week online course for people who want to get going on their jump and meet other people. We're wow, starting cool. with 20 folks. Cool. Yeah, 20 folks from around the world, and, and it's on our website. If, if you go to whentojump.com, you can go believe it's under the Join tab, and, uh, and that's for anybody. I think applications are open for another week still. Wow, that's fantastic. That's what a great idea. You're doing yeah. good work, man. Congratulations. You're doing great work. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's something that I believe is bigger than a book, and it's different than just, you know, let's say we have a podcast. And yeah. we, we want people to feel like they can share their story, whether it's on our podcast, which is called When to Jump, or the book, or, yeah. or this learning program for jump ambassadors, we call them. Yeah. Um, and we're even creating a, a jump directory, uh, which people – can go learn about as well on the website. Let's make sure people understand that you mentioned podcast. You, in fact, do a podcast. I do. Yeah, yeah. we have a we have a top podcast uh, that's a, similar to yours. Has a great following of business folks and thought leaders. It's it's called the When to Jump podcast. So just yeah. When to Jump. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify and all that stuff. So I had additional pres- uh, pressure. I had to do okay with a guy who's already doing a successful podcast. Hope I'm doing no, okay. No, you know? no, no. Hope I'm doing all right. Hey, can I talk about You're two of my fa- two of my favorite stories? I, I want to talk about two of yes, my favorites. Please. Is that okay? I loved, and I continue to love, Abigail Ogilvy um, Ryan, and she runs the Abigail Ogilvy Gallery in Boston. So I like that one, and I want to tell you the other one that I really loved. The uh, the guy from Harpoon Brewery. Now, it must be a Boston oh, thing, yeah. I guess. I know. And you were at uh, the Harpoon uh, Brewery uh, doing a book tour recently, right? Yep, exactly. And those are two really fun stories. Very different. And for yeah. those who haven't read the book, the, the Ag, uh, Abigail Ogilvy Ryan story, you know, she's a woman who left a, an operations job, works in as a cashier, uh, at a hardware store and also served pizza at an Italian restaurant and also later became a manager there to save up the money to start uh, an art gallery. And so you talk about kind of going back to the basics and, and a humble journey. I loved she, it. She took it. I loved um, it. And then, yeah, you know, it's funny. We just did the U.S. We're, we're doing the last city of our U.S. tour next week in Nashville, but we were in uh D.C., New York, and Boston, and San Francisco. And in Boston, we were at Harpoon Brewery, where the founder, Dan Canary, yeah. featured in the book. Yep. Um, and his story is great as well. He talks about 
not looking back and taking yeah. a jump and not wondering what your friends think or, or if it'll work or not, but really going full steam. And crucially, Marty, he talks about how you can learn a lot about what you're about to go do before you quit your job and take a jump if you are going to change careers. There's a lot of things you can do to prepare yeah. that yeah. make it less haphazard. Yeah, we've said it. I've said it maybe five times already. You know, the due diligence, uh, again, no one's suggesting you wild and crazy jump to leave your job. Uh, and you make the point, and I'm repeating again, that the, the due diligence to study, the preparation, the top process, uh, it, it takes time or it should take time. Um, so to make these jumps, and again, my guest is Mike Lewis, his great book and his great website is When to Jump. His website is whentojump.com. His book is When to Jump If the Job You Have Isn't the Life You Want. Um, so, you know, Sheryl Sandberg did write the foreword to your book. Congratulations with that. She had an interesting story. Can we talk about that briefly that she talked yeah. about? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Tell me about that. So, I think what was interesting about Cheryl's story, it obviously talks about. Uh, some of our shared relatives, she's actually my second cousin. Um, she, our, our ancestors came over from Eastern Europe, and, and their jump in the purest sense was to escape religious persecution in Europe at a time where, you know, just years after they immigrated to the U.S., they, uh, they, they likely would have uh, been victims to the Holocaust. And so yeah. you, you talk about taking a massive life change. Uh, yeah. You know, our great-grandparents were two of eight children growing up in a tenement in New York City, and you know that was in some ways uh, a forced jump, and in some ways it was taking this the opportunity to say let's let's start over. And so, you know, there's a very strong immigrant thread in the book. Yeah, which I think we can talk about another time. But there it, is, it, yeah, it's very powerful with with her story. And then, um, as some may know, she was in the government as chief of staff to the, the secretary treasurer um, um, under Clinton. Yeah. And then when when that ended. She could have gone into a lot of other things and ended up taking a jump to technology and a small company called Google Yeah, <laughs> uh, and was a business manager before they really yeah. had a business. You know, it was just starting out, learning about their operations and sales. Um, and then later, what she says is, our, I think uh, she said, or she would tell you, I think it was just as much of a jump, is leaving Google at a mature place Absolutely. Uh, to go to a company run by I believe he was 21 years old, uh, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, with the vision of connecting the world. You know, this is 10 years ago now. That, so that, that was a serious it was, jump. It was really interesting because <laughs> she jumped, I think, in life, yeah. in, you know, across careers from politics yeah. to the private sector, but then also even within the private sector, major, major jump there. Yeah. So my guest has been, and we need to wrap up, Mike. Mike Lewis, his book is When to Jump If the Job You Have Isn't the Life You Want. His website is whentojump.com. There's so many things you can sign up and subscribe. Mike, what didn't I ask you? What do you want to leave us with? Jeez, I think you did a great interview. You got a great show. I'm, I'm grateful to be on it. And I would just say that, uh, you know, a jump can start in the smallest of ways. And we've talked about this before, but, but there is a lot of nitty-gritty. There's what I call the 10,000 unsexy steps that come with it. Yeah. So I encourage anyone listening to, to, to sign up for our newsletter and check out whentojump.com and, uh, and tune in. You know, we have a podcast as well. Yep. Uh, but, but check out the community. It's, it's made for people who are 
we're everyday folks looking to make that little change or big change in their life. Yeah. Mike, thanks so much for uh, spending time with us. I really appreciate it because I know you're very, very busy. I wish you continued success in all that you're doing, and it's great work, so I appreciate it on behalf of all the folks who you're impacting. So take care, man. Thank you so much, Marty. A special thanks to my guest, Mike Lewis. His book, again, is When to Jump. you got to get this book. So thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. Reminding you to find this show and many other shows on csweetradio.com. That's c-sweetradio.com. So on behalf of myself, Marty Wolf, your host, and D.C. Taylor, my executive producer, thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. My friends at nastpartners.com asks you, who will take you there? The predictive index allows you to decode the complexities of your people and realize what drives workplace behaviors so you can ensure alignment, reach your team's true potential, and achieve your business objectives faster than ever. The predictive index uses proven science to help you manage across the hire-to-retire life cycle with scientifically validated workforce assessments that provide high-impact insights in minutes. That's the predictive index. Learn more at nastpartners.com. That's my friend Dave Nast at nastpartners.com. That's N-A-S-T, nastpartners.com.